Yeah. Time waits for no man. Life is but a two-step slow jam. Dancing with the devil, trying not to lose my balance. But God bless the kid with many talents. He was chosen. That's why you see him living in the moment. Every second, gotta own it. Cause you never know when could be your last. Time breathing, now you breathing from the gun blast. And you thinking about the past. See your whole life in the flash. Best friends, love in your casket. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 137 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com go check out our nerds of thunder collection inspired by thor love and thunder we got t-shirts crew neck city stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing the latest entry in the dragon ball franchise dragon ball super superhero also we'll be discussing the survival thriller film starring idris elba beast but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the series premiere of the game of thrones prequel house of the dragon The dream it was clearer than a memory, and I heard the sound of thundering hooves, splintering shields and ringing swords, and I placed my heir upon the Iron Throne, and all the dragons roared as one. They consider the matter urgent, that of your succession. Who else would have a claim? The firstborn child. Rhaenyra, no queen has ever sat the Iron Throne. The king has an heir, Daemon Targaryen. I will not be made to choose between my brother and my daughter. Rhaenyra's succession will be challenged. Knives will come out. You are the king. Your duty is to take a new wife. I have decided to name a new heir. I'm your heir. War is afoot. Do you think the realm will ever accept me as their queen? A woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. Because that is the order of things. When I'm queen, I will create a new order. Your family has dragons. Yeah, power men should never have trifled with. If Rhaenyra comes into power, she could cut off any challenge to her succession. I am to inherit the Iron Throne. She will block my way. Our hearts remain as one. Oh, our hearts were never one. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron
Now, this series is created by Ryan J. Condal and George R.R. R. Martin, and it's starring Patty Conantine, Emmy Darcy, Matt Smith, Olivia Cook, Steve Toussaint, Eve Best, Fabian Frankel, Sonoya Mizuno, and Reese Ifens. And so, episode one, the series premiere of House of the Dragon, just released on HBO. We knew about this series for quite a while now. It was almost immediately announced at the conclusion of the original Game of Thrones series back in 2019 when they were wrapping up the final season of that series. We knew that additional spinoffs were going to be coming. We knew that they were going to continue in the world of Westeros because Game of Thrones is the most successful HBO series of all time. So why wouldn't mm-hmm. you go back? House of the Dragon, most notably, is adapting the book from George R.R. R. Martin, Fire and Blood, to tell the prequel story of what happened almost 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. And so we've been eagerly anticipating this series, as a lot of people have been. We know the weight of what this series means and what it could possibly mean for the future of HBO as well. And so with that said, man, I'm going to pass it over to you. What were your general thoughts about the series premiere of House of the Dragon? Man, first and foremost, uh, people, I think, know and understand the love I have for Game of Thrones, man. It's been one of my favorite shows for a very long time. I caught wind of it very early, too, Game of Thrones. I think very early season two is when I, when I caught on, which is, again, really early for most Game of Thrones watchers, man. It was really quiet in the first season, and so... I find myself, again, being just a long-term fan here and excited to enter the world of Westeros again, man. And I have to say, this this first episode gave me all the heebie-jeebies back, I think, that I used to feel um, in the Game of Thrones world, man. The the very uh, uh, early moments of this this show, there was some music, you know, hints at uh, uh, what we had before. There's dragons already. There's... Just so much for uh, to immerse me back into this world that I was excited for, man. And in this episode, not only provided that, but all kind of the craziness that that Game of Thrones also always provided. As you're watching certain scenes of Game of Thrones, you tend to be like, okay, this is normal until it's not. And those are all the things that we love about the series. Um, I think another thing that we love about the series that they they did a good job here is uh, uh, putting giving us a history again man one of the things i love about game of thrones is of course it's not real history right we're not sitting here watching something that actually happened but it's somebody's history somewhere <laughs> you know what i mean I, and, and that's a good thing i think to, to have a world where we've already bought into one story now how do we buy into the story before that and they make the connections needed to make me feel like this is this is it we're, we're still in game of thrones territory it's just named something else as a prequel and so man i i, I found myself enjoying this episode quite a bit as as we re-enter into this 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 story man there it, it looks good to me there are very definitive moments that you can tell they put here in episode one to be like no we're back this is game of thrones there's very definitive moments to tell you that there's there's uh, uh, I don't, I don't know. Everything that we loved before is there, man. I feel like the acting's there. The set pieces are still beautiful, as they were where they left off. If nothing, I, I know we feel how we feel about season, uh, season eight about Game of Thrones. If nothing, though, some of those uh, early episodes looked good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like they're like, look, y'all, we still got this budget, and we gonna use this budget. So I'm, I'm very happy. Um, about that too, man. In fact, you know, George George R. R. Martin was like, "This this show has all the makings to be just as good as, as Game of Thrones as I would have wanted to." And I and, and I feel that coming in uh, again into this first episode, man. So I'm I'm here. I'm excited, and this is a really really good first um, first look of what 
you know, uh, House of the Dragon has to provide us. I'm just excited to see the rest of what's to come, man. So, yeah. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they did it. They really did it. They've won me over because we all know how controversial the final season, maybe even the final few seasons of Game of Thrones were, especially Mm -hmm. the final season, though. It was so eagerly anticipated. It was one of the pop culture moments of that year of 2019, and we knew how much weight and pressure existed for that series to end on a positive note that would satisfy most people. And unfortunately, it did not, especially for me. And I, I walked away feeling disappointed at the conclusion of how things wrapped up with that series. And so a mere three years later, which is not that much time to revisit mm-hmm. this world, one had to be a little bit cautious about where the series may go and just if they were going to be able to bring us back to peak Game of Thrones time when it was almost universally loved by everybody. And I got to say, with this first series premiere episode, they really did it. They 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 stuck the landing on setting the foundational pieces needed in order to win, I think, most people over. Obviously, there's so much left to see. We still have nine more episodes of this first mm-hmm. season. It could tank in, in the middle of it, for, for all <laughs> we know. It could end up being like one of the worst things we've ever seen. But it doesn't feel that way. And I think, although it's only been one episode... A series premiere is just so integral to setting the tone and setting the pace for what your show is going to be. You know, it is just one isolated incident. But ultimately, we know that in the past, the first Game of Thrones pilot that they filmed that has still never seen the light of day was deemed terrible. So much so that they went and refilmed it and spent more money on it to get it into a better Mm -hmm. place. And to think that if they did not refilm that, we would have never gotten the phenomenon of Game of Thrones. But because that first one was so apparently bad, they went back to the drawing board. And so I think it just goes to show, like, this stuff is important to setting the pieces in play to make sure that this show and the series is going to have the legs that it needs in order to be successful. And I just felt like everything that they did here set all of that stuff in motion so well between the character dynamics, between the way the show looks, between the drama, and just the familiarity that, that they you know reintroduced us to to... I, I think just reorient us to this entire universe that they've built out for such a long time now it was just so successfully done. And I had a really, really good time watching this. And ultimately, the way that they tied the two series together, you know, to, to remind us, like, yes, this is still the same world, but this is preceding everything you've known. I think that they did that in a really, really effective way. And ultimately, I enjoyed it. And I'm so here for what the rest of the series is going to entail, not only for this season, but for what what sure will be future seasons when it when it ultimately does get the green light for for future iterations of this story mm-hmm. i'm so here for it because now we're in a place that is yes it's separate but it's somewhat familiar to the story that we've already learned about but it's telling it's telling the story of the targaryen family which we have learned so much about from hearsay and from rumors and from stories that were recollected in that game of thrones series and now we can see some of these these events unfold you know i think it has all the makings to be as good as that original series and prequels can be funny territory to work with. You know, I think we've seen many, many prequels just be unsuccessful in their attempts to fill in the gaps Mm -hmm. of things that you may have heard about or have been referenced, but I have a good feeling about this one. Hopefully it's just, it's just really all about, can they sustain the momentum? Can they continue it on for Mm -hmm. again, the rest of this season and for future seasons? But by all accounts of what critics are saying, who have gotten access to some of the earlier episodes, some of the additional episodes, in addition to this first series premiere, it seems like it will do that. I think I think we're in, we're in store for for a very very entertaining and integral story that's gonna remind us why we fell in love with Game Game of Thrones in the first place. So very much looking forward to the rest of it. I do want to talk 
a little bit of spoilers though because this is a big series this is a very very prominent series for hbo as we know they are hedging their bets on this and for the future of their streaming platform and i think that with game of thrones as a moment something that we haven't been able to talk about on this podcast really it's a great Mm -hmm. chance to just like examine some of the stuff that happened and talk about this in a little bit more of a a little bit more of an intimate way with some of the specific notable events from this episode. So I do want to warn you, if you have not watched the series premiere of House of the Dragon just yet, go check it out and then come back and listen to the rest of our conversation because we will talk at length about some of the things that went down this week with just the introduction to the show. And it's something we'll probably revisit over the next few weeks as well. But I want to start off with just how the series sets sets the, the tone for what it's going to be in the fact that House of the Dragon is kind of telling the story of the Targaryens at the peak of their power. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, in Game of Thrones, we know that a lot of what's said about the Targaryen lineage and their house, it's often communicated by people recollecting stories and what happened previously because the Targaryens are really reduced to just one person with Daenerys <laughs> as, as, exactly. the, as the foremost person of that family. Um, it did start with her and her brother, but we know how that went in that series. But now we're here. We have a ton of Targaryens. There's there's silver, long flowing hair everywhere. And we see their (laughs) their house insignia everywhere. And we see dragons all over the place. You know, it's not just like the birth of like three dragons. Now they're kind of everywhere. And so Mm -hmm. King Viserys in the show, he is in his ninth year reigning as king. And ultimately, he's been charged to make the decision on who's going to be the heir to the family. And this episode is indeed titled The Heirs of the Dragon, which is, you know, very aptly titled. But that's really the charge of what he's responsible for in this episode, and I I would assume for the rest of the series as a whole, and kind of doing what the namesake of the show is. It's a Game of Thrones, figuring out who exactly is going to occupy these titles and these responsibilities. But what do you think about us just, you know, sort of being introduced to this family at this pivotal moment, at, at the peak of their powers, when they are really, you know, sort of at the forefront of Westeros, they're they're at the height of their power, they have all the dragons at their disposal, they're kind of seen as gods even, you know, and I think that that was a, a line uttered throughout this series, that they're, they're seen closer to gods than they are to men. What did you think about just that whole depiction and also just some of the some of the different family members that, that make up this, this particular house? Yeah, man, it's just a great start to inevitability i love that i love knowing this is 172 years before daenerys right that is just like a well how the hell in 170 years do we get from the peak in 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 height of the targaryens to just daenerys stormborn and i guess at the time her brother viserys too you know what i mean and so it, it, it i think it's just really dope thing uh, uh again to start off with because even as we know, it's 172 years removed when we see Rhaenyra on the drag step down from the dragon at the beginning of the show. It purposely is giving us Daenerys vibes. You know what I mean? It's like, look, y'all, this is her great, 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 great something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I, 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 it just it feels really good. Again, the connections. I'm pretty King Viserys here. Her brother's name Viserys. Daenerys' brother's name Viserys. It's like really cool to see how long of a lineage we have to get to in order to get there and so this family we know Daenerys just to be really freaking cool but now there's a whole family of them that are still alive there's like you said dragons are thriving how what how do how do we get there how do we get to the dragon skulls in the in the basement of King's Landing you know what I mean how do we get to uh uh you know right now the Iron Throne has steps I think the book originally said the Iron Throne had steps how do we get to 
steps to no steps <laughs> you know what i'm saying i don't know if they'll they'll address that it could just be like a merging the book in the tv show kind of type thing i don't know but you know I, it's just very interesting to see how we get to certain places and i also love um this opening like you said being a game of thrones as it starts off the name of the show doesn't have to be game of thrones for us to be like nope this is all going to be a game of thrones thing you know what i'm saying like everybody is fighting for this lineage of who's to be king next and especially after the beginning, they literally tell us this is the best king that pretty much we've ever had in Westeros, right? The 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 I don't even know his name. I think they call him the the old king too. I'm gonna call him the old king for now. But he he is just so what sixty years of peace. It's like okay, that means it's about to go down. You told us there's a king of peace. <laughs> I mean, we know dragons are gonna die. We know people. We know this family gets reduced. the t- The term, the time of peace is over, and by the end of the episode, again, light spoilers. We know this. By the end of the episode, Young Rhaenyra is now been appointed uh, to be next in line to get the throne. Mm-hmm. It's about to go down, and and it's just like, yeah, man, it's just really good way to grasp us to to know what's about to again what's what, what to know what's about to happen here and so it just feels really good coming back into this and in them making us interested in things that we already know is going to happen we know the beginning and we know the end how do we what's the middle look like and so and everybody's not good at doing that you said it there's a ton of prequels they're just like eh that didn't really work for me that don't really work for me but here just feel like they understood what made the original game of thrones so good and added their flavor because there's so much that in the book that they're that they're doing here that does also doesn't exist in the book. You know what I mean? It's like that they have to do to get to Game of Thrones. That is just I don't know. It's a mix between creative control and the source material existing that I think is going to give them a big leg up here. So again, just just a really cool start. Yeah, I think the journey is just as important, if not more important than the destination, you know, seeing how we do get to that ultimate endpoint. And I love that we automatically from the top, we get that weight, that sense of impending doom that we we know ultimately comes not only with just the fall of the Targaryen Empire, but just what we ultimately see unfolding Game of Thrones with the the, the arrival of winter and, mm-hmm. and just the, the, the Night King and his army. And so we know that that's ahead. That's way, way ahead. And we won't, we won't even, you know, likely reach that point uh, of that story because we have seen it. But at least with the Targaryens and what their empire represented, it was reduced to ashes by the beginning of mm-hmm. the Game of Thrones. And so seeing how that stuff unfolds, it's, it's equally as interesting considering who's in play right now and what the characters look like as we have them because King Viserys, he's not crazy he's a he seems like a fine yeah he seems like a fine guy he doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like his screws aren't there you know and he's been described as a warm and decent man and he he certainly presents himself in that way and i think everything that he was dealt with in this episode was you know his reactions to those things which were traumatic you know seeing his wife die and succumb to, to to the death of you know herself and also their 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 first or their their male heir, you know, during that childbirth, mm-hmm. like his reactions were totally justified. He was extremely heartbroken and, and upset and hurt. But I think that's the extent extent of his anger that we'll probably see for the time being. Everything that he did in this episode made sense to me and attract. Mm-hmm. It didn't I didn't get the impression that this was like the Mad King. This was like Aerys Targaryen. He's exactly. not like that from from our from our initial depiction of him. And so I think even seeing that, you know, there are like very fair and fine Targaryens out there. Like all of them are not embedded with this gene of 
ultimately going just completely apeshit because of something <laughs> traumatic that happens to them. That's not necessarily the case. It could be the case. It's not to say that Viserys may not get there, but at least for the time being, that's not the case. And so I like that. I like that we are presented with something that was probably subverting our expectations than, than, than what I think we may have assumed coming into the show. And then on the opposite side of that, you know, in terms of who he's dealing with, you have a person like Damon Targaryen, mm-hmm. his brother, who is a little bit more, um, I don't know how to put it. I, I guess he's a little bit more, uh, he's he's kind of out there. He's, he's a little bit more aggressive. He's more violent. He's ambitious. I think that was a word that was used to describe him in this show as well. He knows what he wants. So he definitely reflects more of what I think we're used to as it, as it relates to a Targaryen. But he is in opposition almost to his brother, but he loves his brother, you know? So that dynamic yeah. is going to be very interesting to see how that unfolds because they're not, they're not necessarily at odds. They, they really love and adore each other but they're different in terms of how they would probably rule from that throne and so that stuff is interesting to me from the patriarchal side but then the matriarchal side of it is equally as interesting because we know that this world is very much rooted in the patriarchy but that gets uprooted because at the end of this we do get the resulting uh i guess announcement of 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 the of the of the new heir who's going to be a female and and i think that renera in this role being sort of the, I guess, the preceding heir to, to the whole Targaryen empire, to what we saw with Daenerys, that also just, that changes the whole dynamic. That makes it mo- mm-hmm. more interesting because, like you said, by the end of this, knowing that she's in that position, that means that people are not going to be okay with that. There's going to be people that try to contest that and and equally, you know, maybe start many wars because of it and start many battles because of it. And so I think, I think all of this stuff is just, like, really fascinating to see just, like, this whole Targaryen empire and just how different mm-hmm. they probably are compared to the rest of the empires all throughout Westeros. And because of that, that's probably largely why they were responsible for becoming so high in power as they are but it also it also might be equally as 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 responsible for their downfall their impending downfall that we know is going to come um i do want to talk about i think the central sort of centerpiece of this episode it revolved around a tournament like a jousting tournament to decide Mm -hmm. you know who was going to possibly be the next male heir for the targaryen empire and how that was also juxtaposed with the childbirth scene from queen emma thinking that we would get this male heir in the form of a, of a newborn son for king viserys but how that ultimately resulted in her death and it was a very 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 violent scene it was yeah. extremely graphic hbo certainly reminded you this is game of thrones this is yep. not anything else <laughs> like don't get it confused this shit is hardcore and we're going to make it so so much so that like I don't know if I'll ever really watch the scene again just because mm-hmm. of how violent and how graphic it was, but I did find it interesting that automatically off the top, King Viserys has to make the most difficult decision of his life. And at the same time, we're seeing this physical battle happen on the field with all of these men who want to step up and become the heir, and that's just juxtaposed against like the childbirth element. Again, like that, that patriarchy versus matriarchy and how I think more tied together these things are within the specific Targaryen empire than maybe other stories that we've seen out of, out of Game of Thrones. What did you think about just how that whole scene unfolded and seeing just those sequences, those two sequences run parallel to each other? Man, this was a definition, I think, of what, you know, the art of the world of Game of Thrones is here to provide, man. There's a moment at the beginning where Queen Emma is sitting on her on that on that bed while she's pregnant and Rhaenyra walks in and Emma tells her this is this is our our this is like our our war bed you know what i mean like this is this is where we go to war we we're this is where we're pregnant and then for them later to to juxtapose 
you know, uh, glimpses of, of what war looks like in that jousting tournament versus the 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 birth or stillbirth somewhat of this baby. You know what I mean? It's very, I don't know, just very crazy thing that that I think we're going to see more of later down the line. It's given us a look into how brutal and terrible this world is. But even more than that, they wanted to show us there's just so much there and so many layers there, man. One, they wanted to show us how terrible technology was in a time like this of course a c-section wasn't gonna go good back then you know what i mean they're like well we could do a c-section but she's gonna lose too much blood and there's there's the other one where it's like she could try to have this baby but she's probably gonna die regardless like that i think that's the thing that sucked the most for viserys is like your wife will not make it regardless what are you to do you know do you, does she die which which agony <laughs> do you want to die in and in the pressure of having to and trying to come up with a male heir this is what we get and and it's so uh, uh maybe ironic is the word that we still end up with the female heir um and and, and you can tell you know one Rhaenyra's at this entire time have been very uh upset that somebody who was unborn had more claim to the throne than she did but at the same time you know they, she felt like her father also she didn't like her father because of that but that apology from Viserys you could tell in all of his grieving felt so real you know what I mean he felt like he's like no this is that I I think he truly felt that Rhaenyra was the next up after all the bullshit that happened to him he's like no you you are the one who I think who's to be queen. And again, I I, I love you know how we're kind of talking about um, um, Damon in this situation, Rainier and Viserys, and and how kind of not crazy Viserys is, and how maybe leaning towards crazy Damon is, and his name is freaking Demon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Pretty but much. like, but they say like uh, every time a Targaryen is born, God flips a coin. It's like, ooh, did did Damon land on tails? <laughs> and did and, but the, another good question is like, okay, Rhaenyra is now the heir. Do we know that she landed on heads? As excited as we are about this girl, <laughs> do we know that she landed on heads? Like Basira seemed to have landed on heads. You know what I mean? Like, and and it, it just prevent uh, presents very interesting. Um, um, I think I think moments. Uh, for for us to dissect later on, man, that that whole jousting tournament just so crazy, because it's like people are legit dying, and Damon, as much as we see himself putting his life on the line, I mean, people they literally get hit off the horse and start fighting for real, for real, you know what I mean? But it's it's like you know this dude isn't going to die, <laughs> but it's it's like, but what does his brutality looks like? I think is important too when he goes the night before and like tries to purge, you know, the men of the village uh from what they've done from 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 the the ceremony the next day it's like i mean they are it's crazy bro they're chopping off dicks and asses and it's really wild stuff going down um and so for 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 all this again to be juxtaposed against a a, a birth there was like no happiness in any of it right i mean they're they're trying to celebrate like yes there's a new heir king coming that's going to be born and then in this celebration there's death on both sides and, and you know they end up having to bury these people and it's just yeah man it's it's, it's a very uh, uh crazy scene to kind of wrap your head around but again i love how strong it is more than anything i love how strong the messages that are coming through to show us no this is how we are setting this up y'all like there's loss is going to happen it happens episode one some uh, in fact 
you could call it of course it's not gonna feel a red wedding right we had way more snakes in the red wedding but in terms of loss of a wife and child episode one whoo that's that's some heavy stuff to bear and so um it's just you know we I, I just feel the weight going into from from the from these scenes again being juxtaposed alone i feel the weight of what's to come in the rest of the season yeah, they needed a gut punch immediately off the bat to get you to understand just the position that everybody's in. And, you know, violence is just inevitably a part of these stories and what they're trying to do with Game of Thrones. And so it's not a surprise to see it, but I think just to see the degree of how much it exists in this world. And again, I think it's uh, it's lending to the concept and the idea that violence is a large part as to why there's a downfall with the Targaryen Empire to begin with, that mm-hmm. there's a, just a, a, a sort of a, an aptitude to sort of lean towards violent tendencies in nature and although Viserys is kind of a good king and seems like a decent king you still have his younger brother who is kind of running rubshot across this land and king's landing and doing just things that are not favorable to just ultimately what they're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. there and so um I think you have good intentions that are laid out across the board but you ultimately get them upended by somebody who is headstrong and ambitious which will just, you know, result in in many many things going I think awry for them. And then also Renera, she's kind of a wild card in all of this because she's still so young. And so I think there's an opportunity that she might be impressionable because even a person like Damon is close with her. We can tell that they have a relationship but that they are close and they have affection and love for each other as an uncle and a niece but how might his tendencies rub off on her in a potentially negative way you know mm-hmm. and how much of how much of those two and their interactions will be at odds with each other versus them being on the same page about stuff now that she is deemed the next heir and he is not like i'm, I'm very curious to see what that relationship unfolds and looks like. I'm, I'm wondering if, it, if it's more of a mentor-mentee relationship like we've seen previously done, or is it going to be more of a, no, we're, we're, we're kind of at odds because, yes, you are the next heir, but this is something that I want, and this is my stake to the claim. Like, I, I want this, you know, more than you than you really want it because mm-hmm. Rhaenyra also seems a little, a little reluctant. Like, she wants it, but I think, I don't think it's until Viserys explains to her what ultimately this responsibility means and the fact mm-hmm. that our family has to be prepared for the winter when it comes like this is really what it's all about this is a big bold secret that nobody else knows about outside of the kings of this empire there's some shit that's going to go down the end of the world essentially and i don't know if it's until that moment that she really understands just the weight and the responsibility and the pressure of this role which makes her want to step up more i would presume but also she doesn't really know what she's in for because mm-hmm. this shit is, although that particular aspect of it is like ways away, she won't necessarily have to deal with that. But there's a lot of events that occur prior to that that set in motion everything that unfolds in the in the actual series and probably puts them in the, in the position of vulnerability that they are in by the time we do see Daenerys circle around in Game of Thrones. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, the last big thing that I just want to talk about before we wrap this up is just, again, Rhaenyra being the heir of the throne and what mm-hmm. that will mean for this show that that's kind of the big the big final moment of this episode seeing that Viserys gives her that choice and makes her the next heir and how that is going to set off I think a cascade of events to to ultimately lead to this massive probably civil war you know not mm-hmm. only within their own family but just within all of Westeros and the fact that again this is that patriarchal matriarchal dynamic that is getting shaken up all the time within i think these 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 particular series and these stories that they tell 
obviously her being a matriarchal heir is something that many people will have an issue with versus being versus it being you know what they've traditionally tried to uphold the men in this kingdom they want to protect the seats of men they want to ultimately make sure that men pass on power to other men this is this is upsetting that dynamic and uh i'm interested to to know your thoughts in in terms of how you think that this you know sort of influences the stuff that we've already seen in game of thrones how like even before we saw daenerys targaryen be so powerful and be so independent and strong-willed for such a long time and also be sort of a, a liberator too that there were there were people that came before her that possibly have done the same thing we don't know about mm -hmm. Rhaenyra's yet we have to see what that looks like and what her rule might look like as she begins to to come into her own but what do you think that this ultimately represents for this show and how that this is like a constant thing that they continue to you know sort of revert back to yeah man i think you know also Rhaenyra finding out from Viserys, um, um the coming of winter and what that means i feel like it's also important to, to figure out where that got lost in translation. You know, we get to Game of Thrones and it's like, nobody really knows about this thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, people people kind of find out on it by, about it by accident. It kind of gets passed around more so um, by word. Even in that prophecy, it seems more like, uh, uh, again, we, we know it ends up kind of being more like Jon Snow that ends up putting everybody together. <laughs> you know what I mean? To fight against the winner. And so I, I, I think it's interesting that it, it might also mean where, where things get lost in translation in terms of bringing people um, together in certain ways, or who refuses at the time to be brought together uh, by Rhaenyra. Uh, I think it's also something to note that uh, uh, you kind of talk about her and in, in, in Damon's uh, relationship, that, that you say, mentor-mentee, man, I don't know, the Targaryens, they, they, did, they did some Lannister stuff back in the day. It could also feel like, uh, unfortunately, some little bit of sexual tension between that's, the two, you know true. what I mean? Like it's it's. I mean, he giving her necklaces out of the darkness. Like it's. It, you, we just don't know exactly yet. But I think this is. It's something else that it's very Game of Thrones. It's very much you know something that's been in Game of Thrones DNA is is incest, and so um, we we don't know exactly what that looks like right now. But I have a feeling there the love triangle is going to pop up. You know, but that makes Damon and uh, Rhaenyra's relationship even more complicated than it will be down the line. Rhaenyra and her best friend—I actually don't remember her name. What's her name? Quick. Um, but I, I feel like that is something that's going to build up here later down the line. There's her uh, her aunt who really possibly probably should have had claim to the throne. Um, who who I think is going to end up being her mentor in all of this, which I love. Like, you know, kind of two women. Um, kind of helming helming this thing. I, I really hope she does end up serving as her mentor. But I, it, it 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 I don't know. It just has the makings to be uh, uh, the mess. I think that we think it is, and that you've spoken to as well that we expect it to be, man. Um, and, and in terms of putting you know everything together, I think it it also serves as just because we know up until this point, it's just it's been uh, uh, the the Targaryens, right? I think it's more than that. It's we've we seen while they were doing the inductive ceremony of Rhaenyra, we seen there was a Stark in there. You know what I mean? We seen that there was a Baratheon in there. How do those people come into play? It can't take all 170 years for them to come into play because at the beginning of Game of Thrones, there's a Baratheon. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how do we? Yeah, how just how do we do these small steps? What are, what do these small steps look like? That, that 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 take to get there we also see where um kind of the coliseum in which dragons or where they house the dragons right in game of thrones the roof is blown off that place how the hell in this show is it together what happens 
for the roof to be blown off. You know what I mean? <laughs> to, to be blown off that that coliseum or uh, whatever you call it. So it's it's I don't know. It'd just be really cool um, and interesting to see all these things come into play and to come to fruition. Because again, as much as we know what's going to happen in Game of Thrones, we don't know uh, a lot of what happens in between. The books don't say some, a lot of this stuff. And and Game of Thrones itself doesn't say a lot of this stuff, so I'm I'm just so curious on the creative abilities of the people who've picked up the show to get us there, man. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be really dope stuff to see, hopefully. Yeah, and ultimately we can't forget there are dragons around as well, and how important that's gonna be to this show, and and how people choose to wield the power of these dragons. And I think it's interesting because we see that Rhaenyra and Damon both have like strong connections with the dragons that they mm-hmm. that they have you know th- this is not something that has to be earned or we have to see play out across multiple episodes that that relationship is already established and so um how quickly will they come into play because you know death and destruction looms from above in this world in this universe and this can be this can be ultimately you know one of those one of those you know sort of aces in the hole that they always revert back to when it comes to any sort of impending battles or civil war that that might exist cuz mm-hmm. there are a lot of players and characters introduced at that end when when people are bowing to her and recognizing her as the next heir i can't wait for these next episodes to see how they're introduced and rolled out through the series cuz there's a ton of people that we still have not met yet um outside of the series premiere that we'll have to meet over the coming weeks so definitely looking forward to it and ultimately i think that this again was a huge success in terms of what they what they set out to do and hopefully what this show will ultimately achieve and it's being successful as hell already um we just saw that house of the dragon drew in 9.99 million viewers across hbo and hbo max with this premiere alone variety just dropped that information um through warner brothers discovery so it's a runaway success. This is by and far, I think, the largest premiere of any series this year. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they greenlight future seasons, because I imagine this is going to be a, at least a three, four, maybe even five seasons show. I don't know how far it goes ahead of that, but I, I see definitely at least three to four with more characters that'll be thrown out there. And, and it provides even more of a canvas that they can sort of embellish upon the story because like you said there's a lot of pieces from this story that have not been filled in yet there are things that are kind of out there where they can just kind of take that and make make it to what they want it to be and that could be a good thing for sure we've seen how that's not necessarily been favorable in the past when we ran out of the source material in the game of thrones series but i'm actually hopeful here because we do know ultimately the end point of a lot of this stuff, but again, how we get there is going to be really the most fascinating element to this series, but we'll have to stay tuned and keep our eyes out for all the remaining episodes of House of the Dragon, but those are our thoughts on the series premiere of this brand new series on HBO. If you've seen it, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think, and with that being said, let's go ahead and transition and talk about some movies, some things that we've just checked out recently. We went to the movies this past weekend to check out the latest entry in the Dragon Ball franchise, Dragon Ball Super Superhero. And what do you want? An old-fashioned superhero, fulfilling orders in the name of justice. Piccolo! That was an underwhelming performance. I was expecting a lot more out of you. The return of the Red Ribbon Army is near! <laughs> this world needs a hero. I just picked up some new intel on who the villains are. Gohan. It's do or die time, so draw out all of your strength. Okay then, guess it's my turn! Oh, holy crap! 
Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Now, this film is directed by Tetsuro Kodama, and it's written by Akira Toriyama, and it's starring an English voice cast of Christopher Sabat, Kyle Herbert, Sean Schimmel, Robert McCollum, Alex Lee, Zeno Robinson, and Zach Aguilar. And so, Dragon Ball Super Superhero is the next film in the Dragon Ball franchise after Dragon Ball Super Broly came out a few years ago. Definitely a highly well-received movie, Ooh. critically acclaimed for the most part, and it also did incredibly well at the box office. It's definitely, I think, the highest-grossing Dragon Ball film that's come out in theaters ever. One of the highest-grossing anime films as well, so yep. of course they were always going to make another one, even though the Dragon Ball Super series has technically concluded. They're going to continue on and tell future stories. And notably, this entry into the franchise is not focusing on Goku or Vegeta, who we've been following for a very, very long <laughs> time now, 30-plus years. It's actually switching the character dynamics to focus on Pick Piccolo and Gohan, who've been supporting players in Dragon Ball for a long time, but have not always had a moment in the spotlight. But this is returning that moment of the spotlight to these particular characters. This is something we both got a chance to go to the movies and check out this past week. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to you officially. What did you think about Dragon Ball Super Superhero? It is time to start putting respect on anime movie names. It's time. It is. There's no question anymore. Every anime movie that has come out within the past year that we've reviewed on this show has went nuts. It, they've just all been good, and some have even been great. It's just time to, 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 to stop the BS people. And if you haven't been seeing anime movies in theaters, go start watching them. If you haven't been writing about them before and you're a movie critic listening to this, go start writing about them because they it just proves over and over between the box office and how well critically uh uh received these movies are that they they hold a place of of their own and they 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 can keep up <laughs> with, with with some of these other big big name movies that come out um uh, uh over the course of the year and so i just think man yeah it, it's just time so dragon ball super superhero man you already said it it follows more so piccolo and gohan and i have to say gohan was my first favorite character in dragon ball z um, he was MVP of several arcs, <laughs> uh, uh, from from Sans to, of course, Cell, which is still one of the coldest arcs in Dragon Ball Z history, period. Um, and you know, it, it's great because Vegeta and Goku had been such a a the foundation for so long. I think in the stories, really, really any 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 story after that, after the Cell saga, was like, okay, Goku Vegeta, Goku Vegeta, Goku Vegeta. And we finally got a chance to sideline them here to remember the beast that Piccolo is <laughs> and, and, and how important Piccolo is to these stories. And so, uh, man, Dragon Ball Super Superhero was a super treat for me as, a, as someone who loves these, 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 these films and this franchise. Um, is it Dragon Ball Super Broly? No, that movie is nuts. Let's just, I just have to, <laughs> Resurrection of F is really good. Uh, Battle of the Gods is really good. And I think, you know, this this movie sits kind of with them in terms of uh, uh, some of the fun that you have while watching them. The difference is Super Ball Super Superhero, they try this new 3D animation that Dragon Ball never really, you know, uh, uh, gave to us. They tried it, in, I think, in a previous movie. might have been Broly. There was like a couple quick scenes that had, um, some 3D animation in it, but they said, okay, let's try a whole movie here of doing this, um, and it's okay, you know, I, I wasn't, like, super mad at it or anything, I think I still love 2D more, it's something about the way Broly is animated, I just love it, it just felt like 
I think they already had something perfect in what Broly was could provide that I don't think they had to do it here. But I love there's a couple of scenes in this movie that are nuts because it's 3D, though. It's like I really love that shot. But when it goes back to some of the normal things in the film, it was like, oh, uh, OK. I, I, like I didn't have to deal with it here when there's just talking. It's like, eh, I don't have to see it here. But in, in some action scenes, it was you could tell the potential of 3D and uh, the 3D animation that they're using here and kind of how they are uh, going above and beyond a little bit. But it, it wasn't necessarily something I needed, per se. Um, but I, I, I still uh, pretty much enjoyed it. It did not take me out of the film at all. Also have to say that the first the, the first couple minutes of this movie was like, eh, for me. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> I was really confused at first. Um, but I think it's like 15, 20 minutes in. When we finally get to Piccolo... Piccolo pretty much is the he's the narrator of this film to me. He's the he's the one in the in the center of things. When we finally get to to see him, the movie picks up tremendously, and, and from there, I think we're we were pretty much good to go. Um, so, man, overall, I I love the action in this. Uh, uh, two characters, Gamma One and Gamma Two, are introduced here. Shout out to my boy Zeno, who voices one of the characters. He they are really cool additions to this movie that I did not expect. I've seen them on the on the posters and stuff, but I just didn't know. Like the roles that they would play again no spoilers there but I, w- I was really happy to see them and uh i would love to see more i just want to see more because they they i think they're really dope um also uh uh man just seeing some some other small character surprises here is always going to be nice in dragon ball um in 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 and other than that man i just really hope that they continue to make these movies like i i i feel like there's so much potential in the, the stories they're telling because this movie it being canon is actually pretty big when when you think about it it's like no this is some dope stuff like this is a canon movie that means they can add on to a lot of things um that they didn't before like goku and vegeta like i said have been sidelined they're going to come back to earth and be like what the hell happened here you know what I mean? and i think that's that's going to help progress things um in, in some other cooler ways man and so uh wow again not perfect a really really uh, fun time at the movies for any I think any Dragon Ball fan um, and especially look if you like Piccolo and Gohan as much as I do I think you're going to enjoy this movie regardless um, it's just one of those man so yeah it, it was it was it was a good watch I will reiterate that Dragon Ball Super Broly is probably the apex of the Dragon Ball franchise if I'm being honest just from every standpoint possible from the animation to the fight sequences to the music to the humor it's it's unreal what they did with that movie it literally (laughs) blew me out of the water because it has the greatest fights I think in any Dragon Ball anything we've ever seen it's it's really up there so the comparisons to that as it is the most recent film, you know, they're they're somewhat founded, but it's also, you know, it's it's comparing probably the masterpiece of what they've done within this particular franchise to the latest entry that's furthering the story that is absolutely really enjoyable and good in its own right. But when you reach such high highs of what they did with Dragon Ball Super Broly a few years ago, it's it's hard to top that. And, you know, I didn't expect them to top that coming into it, especially considering that it was going to focus on Piccolo and Gohan more so. And that's not to say that those characters aren't great and that I don't love them because I do but i knew that it was going to give us a different feel than what we've experienced before but i like that i like that they went in a totally different direction instead of Mm -hmm. trying to just do dragon ball super broly 2.0 they went elsewhere and i think that 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 was the smartest decision that they could have done because you're always probably going to come up short when you're comparing yourself to you know Mm -hmm. a really high watermark of what the franchise has been been capable of thus far and so 
the father-son dynamic between Piccolo and Gohan, which has been a long-standing thing in so many Dragon Ball stories, it's just really nice to see. It's really nice to see them circle back to that and to focus on so much of it. Fans of Dragon Ball for a long time now know the story of Gohan. They know what he's capable of, and they've also known just how much he's been sidelined over the years, you know, with many different arcs and how he has not risen up to the occasion of what I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's spoken about in this movie. They comment on that very thing within this film. They don't shy away from it, and I really like that. They know what we know, and they know that <laughs> fans of anime are extremely smart. They're some of the smartest fans who are very much loyal and faithful to franchises, especially one like this, which has been around for 35 plus years. And so I think to actually address those things head on within the story itself was brilliant. And then to tell an additional story on top of that, that connects things that happened in Dragon Ball Z specifically to this was also a pleasant, pleasant surprise that I really didn't see coming again. Like the actual enemies of this film. And like you said, seeing some of the posters and the trailers, you get a little bit of a sense of it, but you really don't see how things unfold until you go see this movie. And I will say that there are, there are things that you don't want to be spoiled about that are surprises. Do all of those things work perfectly? No, there's a character that's included here that I wish had more speaking parts that didn't speak at all. (laughs) I wish we could have heard that particular character speak, but that's a small, I think, nitpick. Overall, I think just like what narratively the inclusion of that character meant for this story was really cool. And also just, again, how they circle back to things that we've learned about in previous arcs that we saw unfold. And that's kind of like where this franchise is at this place, because since Dragon Ball Z has been around or Dragon Ball as a a franchise has been around for so long, they have the benefit of leaning on that history that they've established over the course of these many different series, whether it's the original or Z or super or all these other things that have come about. And I think relying on that history and being able to tie that in while still introducing new stuff and new characters, that's that happy medium, right? You want to please all of your fans that have been here. You want to give us that, that fan service that that should be justly earned, but you also still want to build out the future and build new stuff up. And they did, like you say, these new characters, Gamma 1, Gamma 2, great, great, great additions. They were so fun, mm-hmm. so interesting, and just so different than, than what we've gotten recently. And I think the future is bright for what they can possibly do with these characters and their inclusion in the future. And also just like the changes and the iterations that we see with current characters and how that's going to be different in the future as well. And so ultimately, this was a damn good time for me. I had so much fun. I think it's up there with, you know, Battle of the Gods, Resurrection F. It's mm-hmm. very different, as you said, but it's it's kind of up there for me. And the animation, that 3D animation that they're leaning into heavily now, I really liked it. It, it mostly worked for me. The only pieces of it that didn't work for me might have been some of the more static scenes where there's nope. characters just talking to each other exactly. because you'll notice that people are just moving slower. This style of animation, people just move a little bit slower instead of that really kinetic, fast-paced movement that you get with the 2D because they have to utilize motion more. They have to move the camera around in in multiple places a little bit more. That's the only place where it required a little bit of an adjustment on my part, but once I got past that in the first like 10, 15 minutes, I I was good with it. I was on board with it. I think it works so fucking well once the action kicks in. It looks so beautiful and so gorgeous to me, so I really, really enjoyed what they did there. Last thing I'll quickly say, no spoilers, the post credit scene to this movie, fucking phenomenal. It is yep. so good. If you're a fan of this franchise, you're going to be so satisfied. I think you'll be satisfied because it, it pays off something that a lot of people have been wanting to it's see huge. for a very, very long time. Yeah. It's, it's pretty significant. So make sure you stick around all the way through the credits to see that post credit scene. But I think that this is a, 
a home run, and I can't wait to see what they do in the future. What do you think the future holds? I mean, I don't know if another series comes about. Super did mm-hmm. have like a, 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 a an ending. I don't know if they do a sequel series or if they just continue to make more movies. You know, they come out every few years or so. But what do you see as the future of the Dragon Ball franchise? I, I do have a feeling there's a new series on the horizon. You know, it's a, they're an anime slash manga first, and I just I really have a feeling it, it may not be called Super anymore. I don't know what it's called, uh, but I I think. So again, something else is on the horizon. They're entering just the way in which even the characters in this in this movie have, um, um, you know, what 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 where they are at the end by the end of this. Right. I just feel like there's something else. We don't know what that something else is, but I feel like there has to be some kind of show in the in between. Could they release movies? They could. Actually, it would be really cool to see them. I don't know. Go on a, a spree of shoot i don't know three four movies that progresses the story um i very well think they could do that but i think if they want to move a little faster with uh, uh again the things going on and look pan is in this movie i just want to see pan grow up <laughs> and i'm good <laughs> so like if, if if i can see her grow up i'm pretty happy um they never turn you know pan into the the girl she should be i just want to see super saiyan pan once i get that i'm good <laughs> i'll be the happiest guy ever whatever gets us there I'm good with and and part of me thinks um, that should be you know a show I think there's again there's just so much there now that they've created out of this that could you can call it whatever you want Dragon Ball Gods Dragon Ball anything Um, and I'm still down with that and especially because as like Super was a very well received actually even as a TV show you know beyond these movies that we're talking about Super Mm -hmm. we was most for the most part we was watching Super like uh, shoot physical collections for Super is coming out that's really dope and like all kind of other stuff so I think they they understand the success that Dragon Ball is not something that looks like it should stop on the TV front and uh, so I'm I'm hoping both man I'm hoping give us uh, uh, the, the anime again and then supplement us again with those canon very specific, those canon movies. It felt really cool to be watching Dragon Ball Super and then like Resurrection of F happens and then the anime resumes. That's just a cool idea that a lot of people don't do. But we also, we've also seen uh, uh, recently Demon Slayer did the same thing with Mugen Train. And so I'm, I'm hoping they, they kind of get back to that cadence. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Potentially also this new animation style might be that experiment to get them in that place. I, I would imagine they would mm-hmm. continue with this particular animation style. They wouldn't necessarily revert unless it was just like so universally like pissed on, which I don't think is the case. I think most people right. are saying, wow, y'all pulled it off. Y'all did this. And so this could also kind of be the foundational piece of what a new series looks like and just like how they'll actually animate it and bring it to life, which that in and of itself is different enough compared to what we've gotten before. I think there's still mm-hmm. some kinks to work out. Absolutely. It's not perfect. But I think that in and of itself is something I'm interested in seeing on a long form sort of weekly basis whenever they arrive to that point. But I, I think the future is bright for Dragon Ball as a whole. I think that there's plenty more that they can obviously do because they're just so creative with how they can tell these stories and like continue to advance characters and still introduce new characters while tying in all the legacy stuff that we've seen all the way up until this point. So very excited nonetheless. But those are our thoughts on Dragon Ball Super Superhero. If you checked out this brand new film, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. With that being said. Let's go ahead and transition to our next movie of this week, the brand new survival thriller film starring Idris Elba, Beast. Hey, look out the window. Welcome to my party, guys. Thank you so much for having us. This is my chance to reconnect with the girls. I can see all Did mom shoot some of these? This little bump right here? That's you. I still miss her every day.
something crossing up ahead. Keep the girls in the car. Stay in the car, okay? Just stay in the car. But I... Diaboro. Okay, what's he saying? Diaboro means devil. I've never seen anything like this. Multiple attacks without eating his prey. Lions don't do that. At least no lion I've ever seen. Shh. Go back to the calls. Dad, please! jungle. It's the only law that matters. Dad, they've got guns. You shouldn't be out here. What are you doing? Stop! Stop! I've got to get my girls out of here. I need you to trust me right now. I'm coming back. Now, this movie is directed by Baltasar Kormakur, and it's written by Ryan Engel, and it's starring Idris Elba, Iyana Halley, Leah Saba Jeffries, and Charto Copley. Um, so this movie, Beast, is, again, a survival thriller, and it might be, it might be the first survival thriller that we've gotten with a specific creature in play in a few years. The last mm. one that I can remember... A movie we did go to see together, in fact, Crawl, which is about alligators. Yeah. That was a few years ago. That was about three years ago. There might have been movie. some inter intervening ones in the, in the coming years, but this is kind of the first one that's leaning really into that B-movie territory of man against creature or beast mm -hmm. or something of that element. And so here we have Idris Elba, you know, sort of back in the leading man role about this film that goes very, very awry when he takes his daughters on a safari to reconnect with them. And ultimately, they come across a very deadly lion, as you probably have noted in the trailers. And so that being said, we got a chance to go watch this movie this past weekend in theaters. I'll pass it over to you. What do you think about Beast? You know, there are, there are two kind of lines in a movie like this, right? There's very much the realism of the movie and there's the surrealism of the movie. And I think each side did enough for me for me to have a good time in the theater on the on the realism side of things one Idris's elbow elbow's commitment to this film helps it a lot i think his one he's just he's just Idris elbow bro you'll never see a bad anything <laughs> from Idris elbow in terms of performance goes you know what i mean the dude just knows how to act is his his moments uh tend to be really good um, and, and it, it's always interesting because Idris Elba could be the action star that we all see in like a rock, you know, but he has the acting chops of whoever else you want to compare. To, you know what I mean? And, and I think that makes him a, a force that is pretty rare, actually, um, than, than, than most would, would think. And so I, I and still on the realism side, I love that about Idris Elba, but I also love this story that exists in this film for uh, a black dad 
who is in some ways trying to earn the love of his daughters, but also protect them. I love that about the film. I think I've haven't I haven't seen it in this way. And so that it definitely added a lot of points for me in watching this. It was like, damn, there's more to this than 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 him fighting a lion. <laughs> there's more. Um and so I thought that was really dope, man. So on the surrealism side of things, I got exactly what I came for. I wanted look, it was in the trailer. This isn't a spoiler. I just wanted to see it just up a punchline. Um <laughs> and, I, and like I said, I got what I came for, and uh, it it really uh, uh, existed. I think in this realm um, again of things that I just hadn't seen, which which helped the movie for me. I hadn't seen this this movie against uh, uh, specifically a line, um, and e- even in the movie, they kind of uh, hint at and, and do subtle hints to uh, uh, Jurassic Park. Right, that's kind of what it feels like in a very 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 small scale um in terms of what is slightly more realistic we know we can't see dinosaurs today but we can't see lions <laughs> and so and, and and what does that look like when you actually you know somewhat get put in a situation like that um again in which lions are real and so uh, uh i found myself again being being quite entertained my my very small you know my, my nitpicks i have with this film um come from one there's just some stuff I feel like could have been shot better. <laughs> There's just a couple things where I was like, mm, like it could have looked a little bit better there for me. Um, but other than that, man, it's a fine film. Like I said, I got what I came for. The nature of the film is why it's just not amazing for me. Uh, and I think there's there's a, a couple of moments, even as short as this movie is, there's just a couple of moments that could have been moved a little bit faster for me. Uh, but, man, I, I enjoyed myself, and I don't really have, have much more to add than that. So I think once you get past the uh, unrealistic nature of what this movie is, then you can enjoy it. If you are hung up on, well, this could never happen. This is not realistic. I can't <laughs> buy into this. Then, then, then you're definitely not going to have a great time because you have to suspend disbelief in order to really buy into this film. But because of that, because I knew to sort of enter in with those expectations and with that, that sort of tone adjustment to, to really you know just allow this movie to wash over me, I had a good time with it. I thought it was I thought it was fine. I thought it was a, a really enjoyable adventure to see man versus beast, you know, so aptly titled and to see Idris Elba face off with a really deadly, angry, aggressive lion. And there were a lot of sequences in this movie where if you go see this, I would encourage you to also see it with a great sound system because the way they Ooh, utilize crazy. sound design in this movie is actually really, really good because there's a lot of tension that builds up over the course of the film. And I think that's what it does really well is build up the tension. You don't get everything off bat. You don't get everything off the top. You have to earn that 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 moment of, of seeing this, this encounter between the lion and the humans in this film. And for some people, that might not work. For some people, they might want to get to it faster and just like have the all out bananas bonkers encounter mm-hmm. between man versus beast but this movie does try to be about something a little bit more it actually humanizes the people that we're following it doesn't just place people in a precarious position and you just send them out to slaughter like <laughs> there are actual characters here that have some development that i think we care about over the course of the of, of, of the film that you know they they spend a decent amount of time really trying to build up their story get you to understand where they've been and, and what their history and backstory is. And I appreciated that, you know, because I, I, I would not want to just enter into a movie to just watch some black people on screen get slaughtered or potentially slaughtered and be in peril. You know, that's mm-hmm. not really fun for me. So to have the opportunity to just like enjoy them and, and really just get a better sense of their dynamic. And then you give us all the thrills and the action. 
that worked for me. And I think that that's kind of the strongest element of this film. And it, it focuses on just, you know, a few small characters. It's not like a big ensemble piece. It's very much like four people. That's all it's really about is just like four people, really three, if you really want to boil it down even further than that. And I think that works to the strength of the film. Mercifully, it's short. It does not drag on too long. It could have used a little bit more tightening up, you know, maybe two, three, four minutes here, there. But ultimately, I think the fact that it is like a 90 minute adventure works in its favor because you don't want to stick around for this type of film. That's just too long because mm -hmm. we can suspend disbelief, but at a certain point you're like, all right, now how many times <laughs> are we going to cross, come across this lion who's killing many, many people and we're just going to survive effortlessly. You know, I think that that's, that's something that just, you know, it strains, it strains believability to a certain extent. So yeah. the fact that it ended when it ended was another strong suit. And Idris Elba is really the standout. If he doesn't commit to this role in the way that he does, if he doesn't put as much heart and emotion into it as mm -hmm. he does, the movie probably falls apart much earlier in, yeah, in, the, in sure. the opening moments of this movie. So I think a lot of kudos has to be given to him. A lot of props have to be sent his way because... He adds, a, again, another layer of humanity that's kind of necessary to get you to really just invest in this story. So this was a fine B movie. I think that this is this is exactly what theaters need. This is what we don't see that often anymore in movie theaters. A lot of these types Thanks. of films go straight to streaming. And uh, I won't name any names, but for some reason, they just end, end up being mediocre of subpar. And so I don't I don't know what the difference is. You know, maybe it's just the. I don't know, maybe it's just the opportunity out there or who gets to to helm these films, but I feel like more movies like this need to be to be sent in theaters just to enjoy them and, and they'll do respectable business. I think that there's still hopefully a space for them to exist. And I just want to say like Universal's been putting out quite a few of these throughout the mm -hmm. year, like Ambulance is another movie they put out earlier this year, which is very much like a B movie action heist film. And totally worked for me you know and yep. i think that this is a uh, kind of in a similar a similar canon of what they're doing here so overall i would highly recommend this if you don't go see it in theaters i'm sure it'll be on peacock in a few weeks here i would definitely encourage people to watch it because it's a nice breezy 90 minute thriller film that, that that'll definitely hopefully get the blood pumping as you watch it but overall definitely enjoyable but those are our thoughts on the latest survival thriller beast if you've seen this film definitely hit us up and let us know what you think let's go ahead and transition to the next movie a movie that actually came out earlier this year starring Nicolas cage the unbearable weight of massive talent what's the worry here nick you've lost some of your talent as an actor no What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and myth-making. Ah, oh, fuck, man, I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry, one more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig ever. You play yourself. What do we know about this guy anyway? Is he into something strange? It's not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife. I wouldn't think so. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to, uh... I am Javi. Nick Cage. God, this place is stunning. What is your favorite movie? That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. You can't just limit it to one. Imagine me and you. I do. Is it too much? Shut Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. Cliff. 
We could have died! <laughs> I'm in position. I think that's the actor Nick Cage. Nick Cage? I love you! Have you seen Croods 2? I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. What do you guys want? We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government. Let's kill this love. Find a way into that room, Nick. I can see myself doing more of this stuff. I think I might have a real gift for it. Good, because we got another mission for you. No, 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 no. Your friend is working for the U.S. government. Don't lie to me. Are those my golden guns? They're my golden guns. I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. You just be I'm Nick fucking... Now, this movie is directed by Tom Gormican, and it's written by Tom Gormican and Kevin Edden, and it's starring Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Sharon Horgan, Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, Alessandra Mastronardi, Jacob Scipio, and Neil Patrick Harris. So the unbearable weight of massive talent. If you've seen this trailer, or if you least listen to it as we as we inserted it here before the movie review, this movie is very much about breaking the fourth wall. I got a chance to check this out over the weekend just because I've been wanting to see it. I've been wanting to check it out. Nicolas Cage is in a very interesting place in his career right now. He's mm-hmm. obviously A-list talent, very well-known name, has had a long career in Hollywood. Is he at the height of his powers at this moment in particular? Probably not, but he's in a he's in an interesting renaissance phase that I think a lot of like older, maybe middle-aged actors tend to find when they reach a certain point. And that's where I find Nicolas Cage right now. He works mm-hmm. a lot. He stars in so many movies. Many of them don't even go to theaters, but I find when he commits to a role and when he shows up, he's very much on, and he's still one of the more talented people that we have out there. I know last year, Pig is a movie that we both saw that we talked about. Didn't love it, but I thought it had a lot of interesting stuff to say, and I really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed his performance and just like what he did, which is very different than I think what we're used to seeing him in, because Nicolas Cage has often occupied a space of being like an action hero, or he's done a lot of sci-fi stuff, mm-hmm. or he's even like delved into comedy a lot or adventure. You know, he, he, he goes for more blockbuster types of roles, the unbearable weight of massive talent is all about Nicolas Cage in the self-reflective stage of his career because he's starring as himself. He's playing himself in this movie, and that's really what it's all about. It's about him dealing with fame and popularity and how people view him and perceive him in Hollywood, which is interesting for him as a star because I don't know if Nicolas Cage has a defined lane because I said mm. you know, just now that he stars in so many different types of films and he works a lot. I don't know if he has a defined lane like some of his other contemporaries do. Like we know, mm-hmm. for example, like a Leonardo DiCaprio. He right. only stars in prestige films. He doesn't do okay. franchises. He works with the best directors possible. <laughs> Nolan Scorsese. <laughs> Denzel Washington, he's in this phase of working with frequent collaborators, but often, you know, he's kind of flexing himself a little bit more to to teeter into more action-oriented movies as of late, mm-hmm. while still on the in-between doing more drama fare, whether he's directing something or he's going for maybe a more historical role. I think a lot of people have those defined roles in terms of what they do and where they are in their career. Nicolas Cage is in a weird place where you don't really know what that is, and this movie is a lot about that because 
You have characters in this film that talk about, oh, this is my favorite Nicolas Cage movie, or this is my favorite Nicolas Cage movie. You'll have one character say, oh, I loved you in Con Air, or I loved you in Face Off, and then mm-hmm. you have another character say, oh, I just love what you did in Croods too." And it's like, <laughs> wait a second. These, these are completely different, but that just shows the versatility of what he's been able to do over the course of his career. And oftentimes, it's funny. Now, the thing with this movie is that it's very much a comedy, first and foremost, and unfortunately for me, the comedy often doesn't work it works mm-hmm. sometimes there are definitely some moments that are funny but there are a lot of moments where the gag of watching a movie about a movie star recognizing that he's a movie star and how he fits within this new context of hollywood sometimes the gag goes a little too far and drags on a little bit too long and i think that mm. they could have tightened it up a little bit more to be a little bit more creative but I think if you're a fan of Nicolas Cage, if you like him and like his career and what he's been able to do, this is kind of a love letter to that. And it's a love letter to loving movies and being just so passionate about that stuff. And I connected a lot with those moments of the film. But I did find that the comedy, which is what I was here first and foremost for, didn't work quite as well for me. That said, Nicolas Cage does a tremendous job here. I think he's really, really great. Of course, he's playing like a version of himself, and he's often the the guy that's just caught up in a circumstance that he didn't that he didn't intend to be in. Mm-hmm. And that's funny to see him in that predicament where he he doesn't really have control of the situation. And and seeing seeing an A list celebrity talent like that, it, I think you know I find that entertaining. It might be kind of weird to find that entertaining, <laughs> but I do. You know, to see them out of control and not know how to deal with a situation, although this is like heightened and it's you know not it's a fiction at the end of the day. But he does a really good job here. And also Pedro Pascal is really, really good here. I love him in almost everything he's been in lately. I think he's been, you know, batting for just a thousand lately. He's just picking really smart roles. And the fact that he can just like co-star on this film with Nicolas Cage, they present a really fun dynamic. There's obviously chemistry there. They work really, really well together. And some of the more comedic moments came from Pedro Pascal. But the comedy just didn't work for as well as for me as I thought it would. And it goes on a little bit too long. I think this movie could have lost probably like 10 minutes, you know, and just, you know, Mm -hmm. focus a little bit more on the jokes that work, focus on landing those, and then a little bit more action, because I thought it was going to be more action. The action doesn't really pick up until the third act of the film, you know, they kind of go quite a while without having some action that was presented in the trailer that you thought would have been spread out a little bit more evenly throughout the course of the film, but that's not really the case. A lot of it is really savored until the end, so that was a little bit of an unfortunate thing. So it's okay, it's fine, it's not the home run that I wanted it to be, but overall, still an enjoyable experience, and I like I liked watching it. Yeah, man, I'm, I've actually started this. I just haven't uh, uh, finished it. So I've watched like the first thirty minutes, I think. Um, but man, Nicholas Cage, no matter how you feel, he's he's still a he's a treasure, man. Um, you know, every like you said, everyone has their 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 own favorite Nicholas Cage film. Uh, it's funny how different Crudes too and Con Air is. It's, I think it's just hilarious, but but also speaks to like how, uh, the, the really the career he's had. Uh, it's funny, like you said, we we seen Pig last year and, and what he did there, but also the man that's Spider Man Noir now. That's how I look at him <laughs> nowadays. I'm like, no, Spider Man Noir. That's who that's who he is. Um, so yeah, man, it's just it's 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 been an interesting watch so far too. Um, I think just to see where he. It's crazy because like in some ways it's kind of like a it's like his own diary, right? It's like, this is where I am in my career, but also how do we put that on film? Um, and, and I think that, that, that presents something that's, that's, that's super interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, we, we, we see more of him though. Cause even, even as we, this movie did come out, Pig came out, I still feel like he needs something else, something that's not self-reflective and something not as 
uh, uh, I don't know, weird this pig was. You know, like give us. I, I hope he finds something else that's even closer to like, um, what's that movie, Mandy? Was it man? Oh man, Mandy is. Oh yeah, yeah, Mandy different. So hopefully, uh, uh, we see more of him um, in the coming years, man. But man, that's that's it's it's it's, it's still at least cool to see as somebody can understand where they are because sometimes i feel like we get actors who like don't really understand that they're in that weird middle ground right now and they try to do things that don't work for them when we're trying to tell them like you don't do that anymore or you know what i mean or something it's like no don't do that but yeah it's 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 good to see an actor as big as nicholas cage being like this is legit who i am i know how y'all see me and i also know how y'all see me and i know how i see myself here's the movie about that and so yeah at least that's a cool thing about it that's a risky thing too. A lot of actors wouldn't go into that territory because it, it forces you to confront where you, where exactly mm. you are. And it might not be mo- the most favorable position. Like I think he knows where he is, like you said. And uh, this is a guy who has won an Academy Award before. So he's decorated. He's done it all. He has been a part of number one films and a part of franchises. Like he's been there. He's done the whole comic book thing. Like you said, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse as well as Kick-Ass. A lot of people forget he was Facts. in that movie. And he was a very, very fun part of that movie. But yeah, he's in a, he's in a very, very interesting place. And I'm, I'm curious to see where it all goes from here but those are our thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent if you've seen this film definitely hit us up and let us know what you think let's go ahead and transition to our final film we'll be talking about this week a brand new drama that just made its way to hbo max the card counter there is a weight a man can accrue this is where all the good stuff happens the weight created by his past actions. It is a weight which can never be removed. All in. You count cards, right? I'm not that smart. But you win. You need someone to stake you. That's what you do, you run a stable. I'm always looking for a good thoroughbred. <laughs> Having been sentenced to 10 years in prison, I learned to count cards. How'd you do that? Poker's all about waiting. Check, raise, re-raise, call. Then something happens. You remember it? This is where all the good stuff happens. They made you the fall guy. You need to back off. You've been around him. He's a mystery. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. This is how it starts. Just a fleeting thought. You might want a piece of what I'm gonna do. Then it builds. Well, what is that? Set things straight. It doesn't matter to me if you did something bad in your past. Nothing, nothing can justify what we did. We are each responsible for our own actions. You know the phrase tilt, just like a pinball. Any man can tilt. You can tilt. Is it possible to know when one reaches the limit? You have to be the strangest poker player I ever met. Oh, you have no idea.
Now, this movie is written and directed by Paul Schrader, and it's starring Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and Willem Dafoe. So the car counter is something I just checked out. Again, it's on HBO Max. It's available to watch now. And this movie, based off of the trailers, did not seem some did not seem like something I was interested in because that trailer <laughs> Suffice it, it to say, is not the most trailer. enthralling trailer. It's not the most. It's not the most. Uh, it's not the trailer that's really going to pull you in. I would say mm-hmm. it's. It's very subdued and it's very, uh, very slow and a little bit more quiet. And listen, this movie is that. This movie is not. <laughs> it's not all of a sudden like something completely different than what you've seen in the trailer. Like the tone and the style of this movie is very much more meditative, and yeah. it's a slow burn for sure. But ultimately, what I enjoyed most about this film, just to quickly talk about it, because it is a movie ultimately about a guy who becomes a gambler and a card counter. But he has he has a previous history because he did an eight year stint in a military prison. And he all of a sudden, after after doing that stint, he, he turns his attention to gambling and, and becoming a card counter and becoming a very good one at that. And what I enjoy most about this movie is the way that it subverts expectations, because for the longest time as I was watching it, it feels like it's about one thing. It really feels like a guy who takes upon this mentor-mentee relationship with new people that he brings into his circle that become a part of this card counter game that he's playing across the country. And then by the end of it, it's like, wait a second, there is so much more underneath everything that you thought you saw. It's so much more underneath the story that you really weren't anticipating, although all the pieces were set in motion to let you know that ahead of time. They definitely set all those things up well before it gets there. And that's what I like the most about it because it really knocked me out by the end because the ending and the final, really the final act is is just shocking. It's really shocking to see how the story unfolds and it's incredibly dark because the story doesn't seem that way necessarily off top. Mm -hmm. But then I think by the middle of it, there's one monologue that Oscar Isaac who gives a really, really tremendous performance in this movie. There's one monologue that happens in the middle that kind of keys you into mentally what's what's happening with this particular character in this film. And that's that's really where they set in motion all the all the events that unfold. And I think for a film that takes time to get where it needs to go and really practices that patience that you kind of need to have with this film, because Paul, Paul Schrader, the types of movies that he make, they, they require patience. They're, they're stories that, that are very much, you know, subdued in, in realism and they and they don't really go for anything crazy or fantastical. Like they'll they'll kind of sneak up on you. And that's what this movie did for me. And I enjoyed it for that reason, because it's different than anything else I've watched lately. And I think that darkness that's kind of underneath all of the stuff that you see happening on screen is very well served by the end of it because it mm-hmm. sets the characters up in a really, really meaningful way for this ultimate conclusion and this clash that happens between multiple people in this film and again oscar isaac him being the lead of this film does a really tremendous job he does something that's a little bit different than what he's been doing lately he's been a part of a lot of franchise stuff but i like oscar isaac because he can bounce back and forth almost effortlessly between doing stuff for marvel like moon knight but then you know going back to hbo and doing scenes of a marriage, you know, and doing this like mini series that's heavy, heavy on drama. And so I like how he can always bounce back and forth between those things. This feels kind of closely, closely tied to the performance he gave in Ex Machina a few years ago, mm-hmm. where this guy has a lot going on underneath and you can't really tell what it is. You can't really read this guy all that well. And I think that's exactly what he's going for here. And it works. It totally works for me. The only thing that I didn't like about this movie is the fact, once again, it is a slow burn. Like you have to really be patient with it. And I like that it subverted my expectations, but it's not going to work for everybody, especially for a film that is north of an hour and 50 it's it's actually approaching two hours so you have to really sit down and invest into it and also i kind of question the chemistry between himself and tiffany Mm -hmm. haddish in this movie 
because she is like his main co-star and I don't know if that really worked. I don't know if she was the right person for this. She was fine. She wasn't terrible. But for the pairing of those two, I'm right. just not sh- I'm, I'm not sure how that ultimately worked out for, for the story that they were trying to tell here. But ultimately, I enjoyed it. Again, not a movie that necessarily everybody will enjoy. You have to really kind of sink your teeth in and enjoy a slow burn, ultimately, for, I think, a big payoff at the end. But overall, I think I think definitely a fine film. And again, it's on HBO Max right now if people want to check it out. Yeah, I actually did get a chance to check it out today. <laughs> I just got done watching it. Um, and it... it, it I, I won't add much to what you said. I think uh, this movie is just fine for me, but it's just, it's one of those things where every story is just not going to be your utmost favorite, <laughs> you know, kind of story. Um, and as, as as much as I, you know, liked it, again, it, it was just fine. I like, uh, I, man, you spoke on Oscar Isaac, man. The dude is just doing tremendous work. When I, when I was watching this, I was just like, I don't think we we have yet to just come together as a unit as we have as a lot of other actors to be like Oscar Isaac is that guy. <laughs> um, we just haven't done it yet. I think we will soon. Hopefully. I don't know what's going to get us there per se. I think it's because a lot of the movies that he stars in are, tend to be smaller films, right? Ex Machina isn't the biggest film in the world. The card counter. <laughs> Shoot. Me and you probably the only person I know that have watched this movie in general at all. And when he is in a big movie, he's like Poe Dameron or Apocalypse. He's never like, the guy you know what i mean and so i i i i think the day when the day comes where he's like no this is oscar isaac's big movie that everyone has access to and wants to watch i think that's the day we'll figure it out but until then man this dude is just it just feels like he's doing undercover like amazing ass work to me um but yeah man this is it it was like a it, it was a different story i like that about it again just not my favorite story at the end of the day but um uh like you said man paul schrader he just has slow burn movies and that's fine you know we me and you we like that um but i i think at the end of the day it's just whatever happens to be the story at the time is the story you're either gonna like it a lot and you're gonna like it a little or you know i mean there's a scale there and this happened to be one of those ones that was just like uh oh, that was cool. I, I rocked with it, but it wasn't my favorite. And so um, that's kind of where I left the film. Yeah. And expectations going into a film is also important with that. Like I, I went into this knowing like, oh, this is going to take some time to get where it needs mm-hmm. to go. So I, I level set, you know, but if people come in expecting like this high stakes gambling movie where it's going to be the most <laughs> thrilling Ocean's blackjack 14. table action. Yeah. Like it's going to be, you know, some <laughs> crazy movie like that. It's just not it's not that at all. Like even the blackjack blackjack scenes are like yeah okay that's fine like it's nothing really <laughs> nothing really all that crazy happening here it's just normal blackjack probably what it would be like if you just you know sat and watched the table at vegas at a casino or something like that um it, it's about more than that so i think you just have to level set your expectations there but again it is on hbo max if people want to go check it out but those are our thoughts on the car counter if you've checked out this movie definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're done with our reviews for this week so let's move on to the news of the week and talk about some brand new things that we've learned over the course of the past few days first and foremost we have to talk about the first footage that we have officially seen now for the Last of Us series that will be coming to HBO next year. We, of course, got the first look at this footage with an HBO teaser as they're looking at all the future content that they're going to be rolling out in the coming months and over the course of the next year. We we saw other things that I think we probably expected to see. Obviously, obviously Succession Season 4 is on the way. New episodes of Industry, Titans, and Doom Patrol have been confirmed to be coming back and getting new seasons. So that's actually kind of a relief because a lot of people were questioning, like, are these mm-hmm. shows coming back? As we have seen just all the shakeup and transitions, transitional stuff happen over at Warner Brothers Discovery. But I think the most important thing, which they did ultimately save for last, which also reinforces how important this show is for them, 
is that first footage that we got of The Last of Us. It's not much. It's not a full-length trailer, but we did get a few scenes to see this adaptation of the popular video game franchise that's going to be coming HBO next year. Uh, what do you think about this footage? We saw first looks of Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey in these very, very important key roles that are be coming to the series. What did you overall think about what we saw here? Man, um, it's looking good so far, man. Uh, I think they, they, they have a good job. They, the makeup department slash costume department is doing a good job of making Pedro Pascal look like Joel. Um, uh, I, I'm still not 100% sold on Ellie yet, <laughs> uh, just the way she looks. Hopefully, her, like the acting comes through and she sells me. But um, again, other than that, it's, it's starting to look good, man. It's crazy that they're like, in this even these small glimpses, we see like Joel's daughter and like, uh, clicker stuck in the wall and like it's like oh okay uh if y'all don't play the game <laughs> then i don't think y'all know what's gonna happen here <laughs> we know episode one has to be traumatic if not episode two like i'm, oh I'm, I'm interested on the <laughs> on how they take things like in terms of in terms of pace because we know you know adapting a video game into an hbo series is a completely different thing and they've said this first season will be of course, the first game, but it's like, okay, but what do those beats look like? Is the first episode freaking, I don't know, the first hour of the game? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what does that look like? So, um, and, and seeing this footage, I think that's the thing that interests me the most is the ways in which, like, some of these things are, are, are going to exist um, uh, uh, in the actual show versus the teaser. But, man, I'm, I'm liking, again, the small things that I've seen. The cinematography looks good. I love seeing that it's snowing, you know, at one part. Um, I love seeing just the different environments, how – and you can see the the them cutting back and forth between what seems to be some of the, the faster uh, uh, moments of the TV show versus – um, when it's just Joel and Ellie talking, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, you may only gave us 20 seconds, but that's exactly what, you know, the, the game provided us. So, so far, it looks good, man. I can't wait until an official trailer comes out. Super excited for the series. I'm also very excited that HBO is treating this with, I think, the care and the respect that it needs to have. Obviously, The Last of Us is one of the most celebrated and beloved video games that we've gotten over the past, you know, 15 years or so. And so I think that they understand what exactly they have here. They understand that this is this has massive potential to be one of their more one of their more successful series from a critical and commercial standpoint because I think a lot of people will watch this, but this also can be very much up there in terms of like high drama and being like a big big time Emmy con uh, contender in the future mm -hmm. like the Last of Us has the appeal to to achieve both of those things, and I think yeah. that uh, based off of what we've seen here, which is very very small stuff, they are keeping it so faithful to what the video game was for the most part. Few changes, obviously, as you noted, with just the character dep depictions. I think Bella Ramsey is the biggest question mark, and that'll be interesting to see how that comes across. But there's mm -hmm. there's there's already been people who've done like the side by side, you know, of the cutscene with like Joel, the live action versus like what we've got in the video video game, and that stuff is. I mean, it's damn near like a shot by shot. It's really recreation. good. It's really, yeah. really good. And I'm like, yeah, y'all are doing it. Y'all are doing exactly what you need to do here. I'm just looking forward to it. And I think the production value looks looks amazing. This looks expensive, as it should. You know, this this is going to be a game or excuse me, a series that's based on a game that's very much seasonal. You know, as you said, like we see sort of the snowfall. But exactly. this game, this game takes place across a lot of time. It spans mm -hmm. a long time. And so. I'm I'm very curious to see how that's depicted too, and just like how exactly they adapt the narrative storyline of the game into a series. Because 
they can go in several different directions. And I'm like you said, like even the first the first opening moments of the game, like how how far does that go in the series? Is mm-hmm. it just the first episode or is it multiple episodes? Do we maybe spend more time there? Because I, I I foresee that they'll embellish some things from the game. They'll have exactly. to maybe create some characters, maybe do some composite characters, you know, here and there, depending on how they want to utilize them in the future. Because it is very much focused on two people for the most part but there there are a lot of supporting players there that there that'll be as equally as important so a lot of stuff i'm looking forward to with the last of us but i think at least from what we've seen they're headed in the right direction in our other news item glass onion a knives out mystery which we know is the next sequel to the knives out franchise has an official release date it's going to be coming out this december 23rd on netflix so it'll be pretty much their last big movie that they dropped this year and we also got an official synopsis for this film which was released by Netflix, which says, quote, when a tech billionaire, Miles Braun, played by Edward Norton, invites some of his nearest and dearest for a getaway on his private Greek island, it soon becomes clear that all is not perfect in paradise. And when someone turns up dead, well, who better than Blanc to peel back the layers of intrigue? So we know Knives Out was a very, very successful original movie that came out in theaters a few years ago. Netflix bought the rights to the film, paid a massive sum of money to both Ryan Johnson, the director, as well as Daniel Craig to come back and star in this film. Mm-hmm. And this movie, Daniel Craig is really the only returning character. They have a brand new ensemble cast for this this new mystery that they're that they're unfolding and now we have an official release date i think it's interesting that it's going to be the last movie that they come out with but it's also telling that netflix views this in high regard that they're going to save it for this spot i think last year don't look up held this spot sort of their last big movie mm-hmm. blow off of the year don't look up not a great movie but star-studded nonetheless this is also a, a very star-studded movie loaded cast edward norton janelle monet Catherine hein Leslie Odom Jr., the list goes on and on and on. Uh, what do you think about the synopsis? They also released some images earlier today. What do you think about the images that we saw? And then also just the fact that it's going to hold that December 23rd slot at the end of this year. Yeah, man. Uh, I just love how diverse the cast is. Um, you know, that was one of the coolest things, I think, about the the first movie. Of course, it was, it was really about a, a young Hispanic girl among um um really this this white family but that was like again a very important aspect of it and so i'm curious to see the ways in which they kind of carry that over here what that diversity looks like um and then those you know those those early shots you know you can kind of see how different <laughs> everyone looks and i love the the production of it. it looks like a really cool set that they're filming some of these things on um that i can't wait to see what's re- also just still really funny is is coming off of murder on the the on or death on the Nile, <laughs> you know, just like that competitiveness of it is is okay. Y'all came out death of the Nile, oh, okay. Glass Onion's about to go crazy then. I love that about it too, because it, it does. Of course, they're very similar in in, in nature of this, in the stories they're trying to tell, but it feels like Glass Onion, of course, has maybe a little bit more <clears throat> together. Hopefully, um, and so man, I'm excited for it. the synopsis. It's a whodunit. You can't give us too much. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they can't. <laughs> what can you really you, tell us here? <laughs> what can you really tell? All you, all you can say is who's in the movie and uh, kind of tell us where they are. And, that, and that's it. And so uh, uh, I think it sounds fine. I think to my point about the, about the, the I think the production looks cool. Is I, Private Greek Island. That sounds cool to me. I don't even know 100% what that means in 2022. You know what I'm saying? And so hopefully we see some stuff there that's, that's, that's different um and and uh again glad to see daniel craig here back in what i'm excited to to just hear his 
random southern accent again that we know he does not have in real life <laughs> but it's it's just it's just really cool though um so yeah uh, uh, hopefully this is a a hit for netflix because we know it was a hit for amazon so um i'm very much looking forward to it it just makes too much sense i just <laughs> daniel craig man he's killing it uh i i love that he goes and gets the bag every single fucking time like they pay him up for Bond. They pay him so much money to play Bond. And now that that's Absolutely. over, he's going on to his next thing. Like, yeah, pay me $200 million to play this Ooh. role. Um, so he's really smart. But I'm very excited for this. This is really kind of the only hope I have for any other Netflix movie this year. Just because I've lost almost essentially all hope for Netflix movies. <laughs> unless it's like something animated that comes from like another studio that they sell off mm -hmm. and license to Netflix. But I, I, I've really just kind of given up on Netflix films. I don't know if I'll watch anymore for the rest of this year but i will be watching this one in fact probably gonna see this in the movie theaters because they did also announce that it'll have a limited small theatrical run again similar to don't look up which i went to the movies to go see and was extremely disappointed that i spent I'm money so on that but um you know here we are i have more faith in ryan johnson and what he brings to the table with this particular story because knives out was just so fun that was one of the first movies we reviewed on this podcast so we're going to be coming back you know to review this the sequel that's coming up here and like you said the fact that it's going to be like a getaway they're not isolated to a house or a property like they're going to go somewhere else go on location and be away that kind of tells me that the murder mystery whatever happens it unfolds in the location that they're in so it's very much mm -hmm. going to be reacting in real time to the events unfolding which i think is always good for the tension that you're trying to create and, and obviously a colorful cast of characters that have joined this movie um it, it has all the makings to be to be very entertaining and very enthralling and as they have sent these movies out you know sort of in parallel to what we've been seeing with kenneth branagh you know do the death on the nile and murder on the orient express i'm just hoping that this continues to be a more modern and more entertaining approach than those films mm -hmm. are because those those are just okay. They're fine. They're faithful to their source material, which I guess you have to commend. And they look gorgeous, and they have great cast as well. But they're not—they're not the most intriguing because I don't know how much more they really have to say than exactly. than what the source material initially presented. But this being something that's a little bit more original from Ryan Johnson, I think that they have a lot of room to play here. So very much looking forward to that. Again, it'll be out December twenty third on Netflix. Um, in other news, we just found out that a live action film for community is in the works and that they're going to be moving forward with it hopefully really soon here uh, the creator of the nbc sitcom he's recently told publications that a story outline has already been developed and negotiations are underway and that they're looking to get the cast back together the original cast of that very popular series that was on for i think six seasons it ran um, they're looking to get everybody back together to do this community series and he's already talked to several people a part of that original cast who've read the script who've been a part of table readings and they're looking to reunite everybody to do a to, to do a movie here um what do you think about this i haven't seen all the community but i have seen like several episodes and it was it was always funny and i i recognize also the talent that came from that show that have gone on to have really successful careers even after that series ran um all the way back in i think the mid the mid to late 2000s um mm -hmm. really into those 2010 2011 eras of tv um what do you think about them possibly reuniting here to do to do a movie um based on that show troy and i bet in the morning i love it bro i was a huge community fan this is like just one of those shows that i i just came across i think i'm being high school like really really kind of late high school and it it, it kind of fueled uh, a little bit of me to to appreciate i think sitcoms again you know like there, there was just a moment on tv where it was like community modern family i, don't, I mean they were just going crazy like it was going hard around that time and so 
Um, I, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it, man. I love that they're trying to bring back the original cast. I think there's a there's more interest in this than I think people would understand. Because I, I come across random people all the time that'd be like, "Oh yeah, have you seen Community?" I'm like, "You're asking me?" <laughs> yeah, I think you know what I mean. It, it, it's just really cool. Um, and clearly, six seasons ain't nothing to flinch at. You know what I mean? It's like clearly people was watching the show. Um, and like you said, a lot of people have gone on to have uh, uh, tremendous careers after this. Of course, notably Donald Glover. Uh, uh, who we we talk about on the show for from Atlanta to his music, you know what I mean? And man, uh, it's just really really cool. I think that the idea that they have to to make a movie out of this because I think there might be something here. Um, especially we we've, we've kind of talked about how there's not a lot of comedies. Community is a comedy TV show. That is what it is. And so if we can they can give us a good comedic film out of the world that is Community with the original cast. I'm on board, and I really don't have any other questions um, to ask, to be honest, because it it, it it was that show for me, and so um, hopefully they can they can make a successful movie out of it. Yeah, and you know what's also crazy is, as you mentioned, that particular time for sitcoms was booming. You mentioned those others like Parks and Rec, The Office, of course, were mm-hmm. were hugely successful crazy. at the same time. It was a, it was a ridiculous time for that. We haven't seen any of those series go on to really develop a feature film because. It begs the question, how does that work? Because the sitcom mm-hmm. format, especially with these series like a community or a Parks and Rec, like it's very much like meta, lots of pop culture references, sometimes breaking the fourth wall, looking at the camera, those glances, <laughs> you know, the the, yeah. the weird camera movements. And we're seeing that, you know, really illustrated once again in like a new series like Abbott Elementary. How do you make that work in a film, in a feature film environment? I mean, I would want them to retain the same style do it the same way really because mm-hmm. i think if you get the laughs as you would on tv there's no reason that you can't do that same style and get the laughs in a movie theater but it'll be interesting to see how they bring that to life and then on top of that all these people have gone on to do other things and, and have grown you know exponentially since that series was on to reunite them is going to be i think the most fascinating part of it to see like where people are now and have them come back together as this en- ensemble cast to, 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 to do this once more. So it'll be very intriguing. Hopefully they can actually mm-hmm. get the movie on the, off the ground. I know they've been talking about it for a while and it seems like all the cast has expressed interest and would want to come back, which I, you know, they may make sense. I think they all had a mm-hmm. really, really profound time on that series. So I'm hoping that they can actually get this across the finish line and get it released in theater. So we'll have to keep our eyes on out on that. And in our last news item of this week, a very shocking one at that, MoviePass is officially coming back. MoviePass <laughs> is making a return to the mainstream. If you don't know about MoviePass, it was a movie subscription service that existed for the blink of an eye back in, I guess, 2018, 2017. Well, let me back back. It actually existed well before 2017, 2018. It actually was around for quite a while, but it really, really gained a lot of steam and popularity around 2017 and 2018 because they changed up their business practice they lowered their price significantly initially it started off it was like 35 dollars a month or something like that Mm -hmm. it wasn't the first movie subscription service but it was one of the earlier ones essentially the idea that you would pay a monthly fee and it would allow you to see as many movies as you wanted to within the month within the time span of a month they gained steam when they lowered their pricing tier to like 9.99 a month which I think everybody collectively looked at that and said, like, wait, $9.99 a month and we can see a movie a day? That's insane. I'm doing it. I'm signing up right now. Now, many people who signed up for this probably didn't question it after the fact. But, of course, a lot of critics of it, a lot of people much more in the know about these things and, you know, probably either of us are, just wondered about the business practice. How how could anybody ever make this affordable, make this actually turn Mm -hmm. a profit? If you're charging $9.99 a month 
to see a movie a day in theaters, how could theaters ever hope to turn a profit? Because it just it just doesn't work that way. It just there's just yeah. no way feasibly that it, that it can actually turn a profit. And and come to find out, there were so many things about this. Movie Pass was you know sort of going behind the backs of movie theater owners. They definitely did not establish meaningful relationships with large chains like AMC <laughs> or Cineworld, who owns Regal. There was just a lot of a lot of a lot of subterfuge happen, happening at that particular time, and I remember it specifically because I was a Movie Pass subscriber. I know you were too. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the summer of 2018 when uh, Mission Impossible Fallout was coming out, oh, and man. that particular weekend was <laughs> kind of the crash and burn of Movie Pass because turns turns out they were locking out subscribers from seeing that movie because they were hemorrhaging so much money. It was like they did something to just stop the bleeding. They they basically prevented people from seeing. Mission Impossible Fallout, one of the biggest movies of the summer at that. Mm-hmm. You would go to the theater because you had to be in the distance of the theater. You would try to make your reservation to go see the movie with your $9.99 subscription fee, and it would just lock you out. And then people were getting their passwords changed. It was so much controversy happening. Long story short, over the next few months, MoviePass ultimately kind of went out of business. They, they, they really failed, and we got the launch of other subscription services like AMC A-List. I know Regal has their own subscription service, and so yep. a lot of these things have been substituted in the time being, but MoviePass is, is apparently coming back, and they're going to do some tiers, different tiers of their service. They're going to have general tiers that are going to be $10 a month, $20 a month, or $30 a month, um, and each, each option are going to give you a certain amount of credits to, to, to be able to utilize to see, to see a certain amount of mo- movies per month. Um, and also, apparently, they've partnered with 25% of movie theaters in the U.S., but it's unclear if that includes AMC or Regal Cinemas. I highly doubt it. I highly <laughs> doubt that AMC or Regal has partnered with MoviePass at this particular point. Who those other 25% are, we don't really know. Maybe small local chains, not really sure, but mm-hmm. they're coming back, man. What do you think about this? As a uh, former MoviePass subscriber yourself <laughs> and as, as, a, as a spectator to see how things ultimately unfolded with that company, company what do you think about this? Uh, first and foremost, I, I can't believe like bamboozling such a big amount of people and then being like, we're back. <laughs> it's re- it's really like Trump trying to run for president again right now. It's like, it's like, are you serious? Like you're really coming back? Okay. If you say so. Um, it, it's just one of those things, man, where I think the only reason they could possibly be doing this is they seen part of the market that wasn't being touched. Like you said, that 25% of movie theaters in the U.S., unclear if it's AMC or Regal. If it's not AMC or Regal, who's left, right? But I, but I think I, the, on, the only way I can justify this is that they found a number in a market that makes sense. You can't leave this unsuccessfully and come back with a similar plan, right? Like, I feel like somebody, they went into the lab, did some calculations and said, okay, this could work if we do these tiers. Like, uh, the $10 tier will give a, a user a number of credits each month. The $10 tier is probably like two two movies in a month or something like that. I can see that working for the person who goes to uh, a movie center, I'm just making up a theater, movie center around the corner, you know what I'm saying? And he, he, they probably only see two movies a month. I'm like, okay, maybe it makes sense for that guy. And maybe they're just trying to appeal to those people. <clears throat> what really doesn't make sense is how much AMC is killing it right now. I don't know a person 
Who doesn't go to AMC right now? Like, that's the theater. I know some people that go to... I've seen a couple of people go to some Regals, right? I've seen a couple of people. Uh, in Casey, we have Cinemark, which I actually think might also be under Regal. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've, I've seen that a couple of times. And so, other than that, everybody I know goes to AMC. And, and as much as AMC A-list is killing it, and people... I just... I don't know. I just don't see completely the market that they're trying to reach. Again, my only guess is it has to be... The, the little guy who was in, again, who they have the weirdest theater next to them, the the family theater next to them, who they're trying to get a movie uh, movie pass for. But, man, I just I just can't fathom the audacity to come back to do something like this. One, after you've been with people. And two, after AMC A-List. And Regal, I'm sure, has a decent amount of people who subscribe to their monthly uh, uh, subscription I feel like those two are probably just killing this literally theater one theater two and you know what I'm saying and so what what else is left and it feels like they're just trying to be a vacuum at this point yeah it's just really weird man that's all that's all I'm gonna quote Joe Pesci from the Irishman as it relates to movie pass fuck them fuck them <laughs> that's all I gotta say about movie pass really because what are we even talking about here what do movie we do? pass is I mean you talk about one of the most bizarre situations in terms of business as it, as it relates to movies, obviously something we care about here. I, I mean, it, it's a really unprecedented unprecedented story now. Again, former MoviePass subscriber myself. At that particular time, mm-hmm. as that being really the only option, why wouldn't you do it? I, I totally understood the rationale for people who signed up, including myself, because why wouldn't you do it? Exactly. Movie prices were increasing. Ticket prices were increasing. Concessions. All of this stuff was becoming really really expensive and so when you have an organization that says like we're going to offer you something that's affordable that allows you to see the most movies that you can let's go for it i'm like yeah i'm, I'm gonna sign up in hindsight when you look back at the business practices and, and some of the things that you had to do in order to to to, to receive those benefits it was kind of crazy i remember at that time in order to book a movie you had to be within like a mile or two miles of the movie theater itself you couldn't like be in the comfort of your own home and book a movie on Thursday and it was Tuesday. No, mm-hmm. you had to wait until the day of the showing. Then you had to be within the two-mile radius of the movie theater in order to book your ticket. So advanced booking, reserving your seats wasn't really a thing. It was kind of a thing. You know, if it was like a lower-tier movie, if it wasn't like Black Panther or something, then you'd be fine. But for a big blockbuster, you're taking a big risk on just showing up to a movie theater you don't have a seat for. Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, you look at the actual just pricing model. You're like, wait a second, $9.99 a month and I can see a movie a day? Like, you had to wait 24 hours, too. You couldn't see, like, two movies within a 24-hour time frame. It just made you question, like, how does this make sense? And I remember at that time, like, people were saying, like, yeah, you know, by definition, with this pricing model, like, for every two movies that a person would see, they would lose money. And that's, like... A movie a day, that's not going to take long to accumulate. Every two movies, oh, I'm going to make that happen on Thursday, Friday. Automatically, Mm. we're losing money. Now, multiply that by 2.5 million. Let's just say that that was the base number that they had. That's a lot of fucking money, and we saw what happened to them. And then you find out it goes even deeper, that they were changing passwords, that there was a data breach, that they were doing all of these really shady business practices, that they Mm -hmm. weren't communicating with theaters, that they were going behind their backs. You just look at the people behind this company and say, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's crazy to think about, right? And so then AMC, Regal, they implement their own subscription services. Been a proud AMC A-Lip subscriber for, what's it been, four years now since we got Mm -hmm. that? Never had an issue. Never. Like, 
yes, sometimes their site crashes and it sucks when you try to book <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home occasionally. Yes, that's not the greatest thing in the world. But in terms of what I pay for versus what I get on a monthly basis, it's yeah. been fantastic. You get all the premium theaters. You get the IMAX and the 3D. And it, in fact, I don't even think that that was... I don't think you could do that with MoviePass back in the day. I don't think you could reserve like IMAX tickets or 3D. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could, but I don't remember being able to like see those premium films. I don't think so. Under their service. Mm-hmm. I think it had to be like a regular standard showing. Mm-hmm. Um, so with all of that said, man, I don't care. I, I would not encourage people to sign up for MoviePass. I'm sorry. Maybe they have new Please leadership don't. who's very, <laughs> you know, they have a lot of integrity. Maybe they're trying to do it the right way. I'm sure that you probably have to considering everything that happened, but they have a long way to go before proving themselves because, like you said, the competitors have launched their own stuff. They're out there now. Like The market is way different than it was four mm-hmm. years ago. And the movie theater industry is very volatile right now. Cineworld Cine is filing for bankruptcy. They're the owners of Regal Theaters. They're filing for bankruptcy right now. So, like, how do you even make this work in this marketplace? And it's only 25% of theaters throughout the country. Like, I don't know how it's going to be sustainable to all of your questions that you said earlier. So it, it's a very volatile place right now to be launching something like this. So mm-hmm. we'll keep our eyes on out on it. We'll see what happens. But I, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't have like a lot of faith in what they're going to be able to do here. Just considering like AMC is firing on all cylinders and, you know, who knows what they'll be able to do over the next few months and in, 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 in hopefully coming years of their existence. But we'll have to see. But. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We will, of course, be back later this week, this upcoming Friday, to talk about episode two of Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney of Law. Of course, we already broke down the series premiere for that brand new series, but we will be back later this week to talk about episode two as we continue our weekly reviews and recaps of She-Hulk. And as usual, we'll be back next week with our regular podcast. We will more than likely talk about House of the Dragon episode two and break down everything that went down in the subsequent episode and of course a brand new film from george miller is going to be coming out his first film since mad max fury road starring idris elba once again three thousand years of longing that's going to be coming out this weekend as well as any other things that we happen to check out on streaming or in the world of movies and tv over the course of the coming week we will be back next week to talk about that but until then we'll see y'all next time with that being said y'all we are audi 5000 Please check out our Nerds of Thunder collection at twoblacknerds.com. This is the year of 2022 Black Nerds. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. We gonna keep this heat close. This is for my niggas who took a day to relax. Hugging the black, but the black ain't hug us back. Took a trip to Miami that March. Couple weeks right before my daughter got born. Uh meet up with this kid by the name of X had to go to him cause he was on house arrest nonetheless our first time meeting we was always on the FaceTime he offered me his place to stay thank you but I declined first impression in my mind now that's a stand up